Our scripture reading today is from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we have heard your story. We have heard that your word came to Jonah and he fled. As your word comes to us, we too flee. And yet we know when your word came to us in the flesh in Jesus Christ, he did not run, he did not flee, but he went all the way to the cross and beyond it to your new creation. Bring your word to us today and with it, bring us to, to where Christ is, your new creation. Amen. So this week, we begin a six-week sermon and worship series on the Old Testament's book of Jonah. And if we know Jonah at all, we probably know it from our children's Bibles, because there's a big fish who swallows Jonah. Spoiler alert, I should have said that first. I'm so sorry. Um, you'll probably get the story by the end. So it's a pretty exciting story for all ages, but it's more than just a family-friendly fairy tale. Weighing in at only four chapters long, Jonah is one of the most interesting and insightful books in the whole Bible. It's one of my favorite books, actually. And my hope is that in ruminating on this text for six weeks, we might discover just how interesting and insightful it is. So, you know, get your spiritual wetsuit on, because we're diving in right into the belly of the big fish. Eventually. Anyway, we'll get into there, of course. So Jonah begins with divine communication. Now the word of the Lord, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And this isn't particularly special because Jonah's counted as one of the prophetic books in the Old Testament. These books are focused on people called prophets. And the late Jewish rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said that prophets are people who have been given a divine perspective. They're tapped on the shoulder by the Holy One to speak from the perspective of God as perceived from their own life situation. And all we really know about Jonah's life situation is this mention in the book of Kings. The only time that we actually hear about Jonah outside of the book of Jonah in the Old Testament is this little mention in 2 Kings, where he was apparently a prophet in the court of King Jeroboam. You know, say that five times fast. Jeroboam, Jeroboam, Jeroboam. So the fact is this book, 
that this book comes with, beginning with the word from the Lord isn't anything new or special. It's just kind of what happens when it comes to prophets in the Bible. What is unique, though, is the content of this word that's given to Jonah, what, where this word calls Jonah and what it tells him to do. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, it says, saying, go at once to Nineveh. Go to that great city and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come before me. Now, Nineveh doesn't mean much to us, of course, but it sure means something to Jonah. Nineveh is this thriving metropolis of 120,000 people strong, which, you know, doesn't seem like very impressive now, but for the 8th century, it's this massive, huge city, and it's big because it's the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians weren't exactly nice. They weren't great. They weren't really democratic, you could say. The Assyrians are kind of known in history for their brutality. They kind of murdered and pillaged their way through the Middle East. People saw the Babylonians who came after them, who were also uh, brutal murderers, and people said, well, at least they're not the Assyrians. They burn their enemies alive, and they decorate their walls and pyramids with their bodies. This, these, are, these are terrible, terrible, terrible people, among many other cruelties. That's just the beginning of the list. So from Jonah's vantage point, Nineveh is the worst possible place. It's basically the symbolic home of everything evil and hateful and idolatrous to God's people. We're talking about, you know, Azkaban from Harry Potter or, you know, Mortar from the Lord of the Rings. We got black smokestacks and human sacrifices. It's just not a pretty place to go or be. But to top it all off, Jonah's people were some of Assyria's worst victims. The Assyrians sacked both the kingdoms of Judah and Israel and wiped out 10 of the original tribes of Israel, 10 of the original 12 tribes of Israel. The great Hebrew scholar Robert Alter compares God sending Jonah to Nineveh to sending a Jew to Nazi Germany. Think sending a Jew to Nazi Germany circa 1940, and you get kind of a sense of what God is asking of Nineveh. So Jonah's not only one single person sent to a metropolis of wickedness, he's being sent to prophesy to his people's worst enemies, to let the jackbooted victimizers of his own people know that God's going to give them a second chance they can turn their lives around. It's basically an impossible request. Nineveh is the last place anybody would want to go, and the Ninevites are the last people any Jew would ever want to see, let alone save. So seeing as how it's impossible, Jonah does what any sane person would do, what you or I would do, and Jonah's name actually means dove, you know. Jonah's name means dove. And this, this dove just flies the coop, flies away. Jonah, it says, goes down to the seaport of Joppa, and he jumps on a boat, and he takes it right to Tarshish. 
away from the presence of the Lord, it says. Now, we're not exactly sure where Tarshish is. My, the best guess is somewhere in southern Spain on the exact opposite side of the Mediterranean. So, you know, Nineveh's over here. Tarshish is over here. And really, it's a seaside resort at the end of the world, the kind of place you go to get away. It's Nineveh's exact opposite, both geographically and spiritually. You go to Tarshish to get away from it all. I mean, Tarshish kind of reminds me of something. It rhymes with another word that they probably smoked in Tarshish. So you get some sort of idea of what's going on in Tarshish. God says goes east, Nineveh goes west. God sends him to Nineveh, the dark place of terror, and instead Jonah brooks his literal getaway to an all-inclusive resort. Where God's sending Jonah and what God's asking of him, it's impossible. So no wonder he hops a boat without a single hesitation in the world. Now I know that few of us have received a direct prophet-style word from God. I mean, some of you have or may have. But most of us, we haven't, let alone a word directing us to the heart of a bloodthirsty empire, though perhaps your prayer, you know, your prayer life is a lot more exciting than mine is. Even so, even so, we all have our Ninevehs, though they're far less dramatic. There are places we're called to by God and situations and people who the Spirit nudges us towards, but we just can't bring ourselves to go to. We all have our Ninevehs. Like Jonah, we all have our impossible places of fear and darkness. Maybe it's a buried trauma too difficult to come to terms with. Maybe it's someone who's hurt us or caused us deep pain and grief who we could never imagine forgiving. Or maybe it's someone in our lives who needs to be confronted, but we're too scared to do it. Or maybe it's even something about ourselves, some sin, some fault, some failure that we spend our days hiding ourselves and other people from. But regardless of what it is, like Jonah, we'd much rather put all of our energies and resources into escape, either through literal avoidance, through running away, or metaphorical avoidance. I mean, as a society, we're all eating and drinking and drugging, porning and Netflixing our way from a place called pandemic right now. So we kind of have a sense of what that's all about. Because for every Nineveh in our world, there's a ticket in our hand ready to go to Tarshish. We all have our Ninevehs. We all have our zones of extreme discomfort. We all have our Tarshish, our preferred method of escape. Now, of course, for today, today's text is pretty short. It just kind of ends there. That's it. You know, three verses, boom. God sends Jonah east and Jonah goes west, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't want to ruin the story for you yet again, <laughs> just in case you missed the previous spoiler. Spoiler alert, again, Jonah eventually goes to Nineveh. 
He never goes of his own free will, but he goes. This first passage gives us kind of a good summary of the rest of the book. Jonah resists his God-given vocation until the bitter end, even the end of the story. He only really confronts the darkness when a whale burps him up on the Assyrian shoreline. God makes him go when there's really no other option. We, however, do have another option. And that other option comes to us in the New Testament. So I'm going to spoil the New Testament for you too. I'm going to spoil Easter for you too. He lives. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is confronted by some of his opponents. They ask him for a sign. They want to see Jesus do something divine to prove that he is who he said he is, God's chosen one, God's son, sent to set the world free. And he responds to them. Jesus responds to them like this. No sign will be given, he says. No sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. I mean, we'll dig a little bit deeper into that actual meaning in a couple of weeks. But here Jesus connects his own ministry with what happened to Jonah. And as a result, Christians have always interpreted the story of Jonah in the light of Christ. They sort of, we sort of see Jonah as a forerunner to Christ in the story. But Jonah's obviously not Jesus. You know, it only takes the first three verses to find out. I mean, Jonah does go to Nineveh. But the main difference between Jesus and Jonah is that when Jesus is sent, (laughs) he goes, right? I mean, today we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. And at the moment of Jesus' baptism, it says the Holy Spirit fell on his head like a dove, right? Jonah's name means dove. God's spirit descended on Jesus like a dove saying, this is my beloved son. And this was Jesus commissioning his word of the Lord moment. And at that moment, he didn't flee for Tarshish, but he was driven by the spirits prodding into the wilderness where he was confronted by the devil, that symbol of darkness and evil Itself, And soon enough, that same spirit drove him to Jerusalem, the place of sin, violence, and death, his own Nineveh. When the word of the Lord came to Jesus, Tarshish wasn't even an option. The only option was his own arrest, betrayal, and execution. The only option was diving into the place of darkness and death. Jesus' only option was the cross. And it wasn't his only option because there weren't any other options. There's always the Tarshish option, right? Let's call it the Tarshish option from now on when we run away from things. I'm taking the Tarshish option this morning, not getting out of bed. Tarshish option, let's go. It wasn't the only option Jesus had, but it was the only option Jesus would take on account of who he was, God's saving love in the flesh. He couldn't help but go to Nineveh where he was called. Jesus was like Jonah because he went to Nineveh. 
But he wasn't like Jonah in that he was able to go to Nineveh with complete faith, able to embrace the cross, trusting that whatever darkness, suffering, and pain lay ahead of him, God would already be there. And God would already be victorious. And on Easter Sunday, he was proved right. Jonah wasn't Jesus. Jonah chose Tarshish over Nineveh, his comfort over his cross. Jonah wasn't Jesus, and we aren't either. We'll take a few daiquiris in Tarshish any day over God's difficult call, no matter how small it is. We aren't Jesus. We're more like Jonah. But the good news is that we don't have to be Jesus to go. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, we have another option. Because of Jesus and his unrelenting obedience to God's will to bring peace and reconciliation to creation, because of his unwavering allegiance to God's strategy to carry salvation to all the Ninevehs of the world by entering into the darkness, by taking on human sin and death on the cross. It means that we don't have to flee from our darkness, sin or death. It means that we can go. And we can go because we know that God's already gone there first that God has already paved the way to eternal life with Christ. We're not Jesus, but because of Jesus, we can go. So what's your place of darkness? Where's your Nineveh and what's your Tarshish, your place of escape? The good news is that you can stop fleeing from your pain. You can stop hiding out of fear. You can stop running from the prodding presence of God. You can turn away from using, abusing, and amusing your troubles away because you've been given a whole other option by the grace of the crucified God. We can. You can go to Nineveh because no corner of darkness has been shut out from the radiant light of God. Because Christ has already gone there ahead and has overthrown it by the power of his self-giving love. So friends, go to Nineveh. Go wherever God is sending you, wherever and whatever it may be. Go with the courage that comes with trusting that God has already gone there before you and awaits you with his resurrecting power. Amen. Please join me in singing Voices United 509, I, the Lord of Sea and Sky.